sorry. <laughs> you don't have to be around Brentwood Baptist Church for very long to hear the name Joe Hudson. In fact, the building, Joe H Hudson Hall, is named after Joe. Uh, I don't know if you know the story, you probably do. Joe worked for Ford for most of his career, built plants for them, multi-million dollar operations. And so when he came here, this, this little church job was kind of an afternoon hobby uh, kind, of, kind of thing. But when he moved back, he moved back just at the time that our church was getting ready to be, begin construction. It became really clear on, to our church leadership that Joe was being called to lead our church in his effort. And Joe did. For over 10 years, he worked for Brentwood Baptist Church without pay, was over here at the construction every day because his son-in-law and daughter were missionaries in Mexico. He knew how to speak Spanish, so he talked with all the construction workers, knew all of the contractors. Everybody loved Joe. This was his mission field. He saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars because of his insight and his wisdom. And we have the facility that we have. Now, when we built Hudson Hall, the church leadership came to me and said, listen, we really need to do something for Joe. Can we name that new building Hudson Hall? Named it after Joe. Not me. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> oh, but don't worry. Uh, when you guys pull the carpet up in this place and tear down the sheetrock, you're going to see my name everywhere. It, it'll be years before you forget me, I promise you. So, um, so we did. And, and lo and behold, we were able to pull that off. Joe had no idea that we were going to name Hudson Hall after him. And you know, keeping a secret in a Baptist church is a minor miracle in and of itself. Now, you know Joe Hudson. Do you know Bill Kenning? You know who Bill is? Bill was the chair of our finance team long before we ever built anything. Uh, we, our church was growing at 409 Franklin Road. We knew something was going to happen and we didn't know what. So Bill came to us and said, listen, we don't know where we're going to build, how we're going to build, what we're going to build, where we're going to build, what, you know, we don't know anything. We do know we're going to build. So let's start paying for it now. So he put in what we call the debt wedge and he started at 2% of our budget. 2% of the budget went to debt. We began to save up money knowing that we would one day be in a building campaign. And so every year he would raise it just a little bit. We never had to tell anybody, no, you can't do that. We never had to bring back any kind of ministry or tell people you, you, you couldn't do all that God was calling you to do because we're paying for the debt because of Bill's wisdom and leadership. And every year it went up just a little bit. At the end of the debt wedge, we were paying 20% of our budget, hammering down the debt and interest. Hammering it. None of you knew because it never got to where you were. It never imposed on anything we were doing. We were able to do all of that and still hammer that debt to the point that when we paid the debt off several years ahead of schedule, we had a $2.5 million windfall for ministry and missions. We were able to increase everything our church was doing and not raise the bottom line of our budget. All because of Bill Kenny's wisdom and his insight and his skill. Now, did you notice anything about those two pictures? Neither one of them is me. Okay? And all of those years of meetings and all of those meetings with budget and finance and construction and all that, my whole input into that process was, wow, that sounds like a great idea, guys. 
let's do that. That was it. God knew what he was doing, so he called people who could do the work long before we even started the process. One of the ways we know what God is up to is we begin to pay attention to the types of gifts he's bringing to our body and our new members. We can tell God is getting ready to do a new ministry, a new effort. Well, this is not a new thing. God has been doing this for a very long time. And one of the first times he did it was Exodus chapter 31. Stand with me in honor of God's word. The Lord also spoke to Moses, look, I've appointed by name Bazalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. I've also selected Oholiab, son of Hasimach, of the tribe of Dan to be with him. I've put wisdom in the heart of every skilled artisan in order to make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of test, uh, testimony, the mercy seat, and all that is on top of it, all of the other furnishings of the tent, the table with its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all of its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all of its utensils with the basin at the stand, the specially woven garments, both the holy garments of the priest Aaron and the garments for his son to serve as priest, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense of the sanctuary, that they may make, and that they may make them according to all that I have commanded you. I have called him by name. I have gifted him. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. For this time of work, for this moment, call us by name even as you did these two. Gift us for this moment that our world may know that you're still here. And we pray this in your name. Amen. This was an anxious time for the Israelites. This was uh, a, a nervous time for them. They had gotten out of Egypt, and now they were on the way to the Promised Land, and they were now in the middle of the desert. And you know how it goes. You start off with great enthusiasm and great joy, and then the journey becomes a little hard. It becomes a drudgery, right? You, you have your salvation moment. You come to know Christ, and it, it's a moment that changes everything. And then that miracle, that, that, the joy of that miracle turns into the step-by-step -step process that we call sanctification. And it, it, it's two steps back, and one, uh, two steps forward and one step back. It's that process of Christ daily making you more and more like himself. Two steps forward, one step back. Um, so let's say your New Year's resolution was not to judge everybody. And so you, you go through your day and you start thinking, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm letting people be who they are. I, I'm not judging. And then you say, I, I don't know why he, wear, he wears his hair like that. And then you're back. Two steps forward, one step back. And in that process, in that drudgery, you begin to think that, well, maybe, maybe Jesus is going to leave me and give up. See, it's an old question, isn't it? How do we know? And God's answer to his children, tabernacle. I'm going to build my dwelling in the middle of your camp. 
It was the tent specially designed, and, and as you go now to, uh, to the Middle East, uh, to the Holy Land tour, you'll find several uh, uh, exhibitions where they have recreated this thing, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle, and you can go tour it. And, and, and the engineers among us say that this thing is a marvel to understand of how it could be put up and torn down, uh, put up and torn down, packed up, travel, and then put up again in a very, very short uh, amount of time so that God's tent, the place of His dwelling, was always in the middle of His camp. And there was a smoke by day and the fire by night, the very first night light. Alright? Scared of the dark. So God shows His presence by light. They always knew He was there. This is a theme that goes throughout Scripture. Uh, John 1, 14, remember it? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, tabernacle. God became human in the person of Jesus Christ and lived among us. Living, breathing reminder that He is still here. Most of us forget uh, the significance of what we call architectural evangelism. Architectural evangelism is the understanding that the church itself, the building itself, says something about the presence of God in the community. And it's one of the reasons it frustrates me to see church buildings sold uh, because of what it says to that community. This building here says something to our community that God is still here. Something about this steeple, something about the cross on the top reminds people whenever they pass it that God is still here. And, and, and do you realize that sometimes God will stop some of our friends at this red light? You know the one, the one you always run. <laughs> he will stop them at that red light and make them stay there until they look over to the side and they see this building and God tells them, I'm still here. I'm still here. The tabernacle, God is still here. Temple, God is still here. This church building, God is still here. You. Every follower of Christ is a living, breathing, incarnational reminder that God is still here. You and I are now the tabernacle. Uh, do you remember when Paul was talking to the, uh, to the Corinthian church? Uh, the Corinthians had this thing about, as long as I love Jesus with my heart, it doesn't matter what else I do with any part of my body. Not, not, not that any of you would ever believe that. Okay, but they were, they were coming to church, worshiping, praising God, and then going out and living like pagans and coming back and thinking that was okay. So Paul has to correct their theology. He does it in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Remember what he wrote? Do you not know? You are the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God's gift to you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. What does it say? 
your body. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Wherever you go, you take the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Wherever you are, the Spirit of God is there. Now, I want to stop right now and give you a line from the old preachers back home who would say, now, brothers and sisters, there's some place the Spirit don't go. So don't take him there. Okay? But you and I, when we walk into a place, we are living, breathing reminders that Jesus hasn't given up. You've had it happen. I've had it happen. I've told you before about my Bible professor at Sanford University, uh, Dr. Bryant. We called him St. Sigurd. And we're a bunch of smart aleck, 17, 18-year-old college freshmen. And Dr. Bryant walks into the room, and the room goes quiet. Nobody said anything. Nobody gestured. Nobody gave us a sign. We just all knew. Now, the word on that campus was, do not cheat on Dr. Bryant's test. Jesus will tell him. <laughs> Something different about him. We knew that. Even us college freshmen knew that. And when you walk into your office, when you walk down the street of your neighborhood, your friend should be glad to see you because, and glad to see me, because we are living, breathing reminders that Jesus hasn't given up. Now, this work of God extending His work, His presence among His people and reaching out to a broken world is a fundamental belief of our church. We believe God is always doing this, and we believe this by God, by God working in the church, and He calls us. Every child is called. Now, I don't like working with the word volunteer, and we're kind of changing the way we talk. Volunteer kind of gives the, the notion that, well, you can show up if you want to, you don't have to, you know, I'm volunteer, no big deal. Uh, no, you're called. Do you know the difference between volunteering and calling? Okay, it's almost sundown in my little neighborhood. We hear my mother calling. Mike, Mitch, come home, supper. She was not asking for volunteers. <laughs> Get there. You and I, as, as followers of Christ, are not volunteers. We are called by name. By name means he called you in your essence. He knows you. That's what it means. My mother never called me Mike. It was always Michael. She always got mad when people called me Mike because she didn't give me that name. Michael was a beautiful name. And I don't know, she said, I don't know who gave these, permission, these people permission to rename you. Okay, but there were times when she would speak to me and she would say, Michael, and she would call me at my essence. I know who you are, Michael. And so God calls you in your essence. I know who you are. I know who I created you to be. And he gifts you 
with wisdom, understanding, and you're going great. Those are all good God things, and I need that in my life. But read the text. He gifted him in skills. This guy could work in wood. He could cut uh, precious stones. He could weave. This guy could do everything. God gave him those skills, which brings up an interesting question. Do you think God can do your job better than you? Do you? Most of us don't. Most of us think, well, God can do this life thing and forgiveness and joy and hope. But you know, when it comes to being an attorney, when it comes to being a CPA, when it comes to being a CFO, uh, when it comes to being a teacher in a local school, th this job's hard, Jesus. This math I work with is pretty complex. Why? Because we never ask him to help us in the skills of our jobs. My guess is the God who figured out the math to hold the planets in their orbit can handle our spreadsheets. Just a guess. Wisdom, understanding, the skill to do the job he's calling us to do. Now, this is a clear teaching of Scripture. God is at work. God calls His people. And, God, and it's limited by our disobedience. Now, I know none of you is going to say, Mike, I'm not going to do what God's calling me to do no matter what. It's not that blatant. It's just subtle. What we do is we, we believe, but we only believe so far. So we say to God, all right, God, I'll keep preschool one Sunday out of the month. Other three Sundays belong to me. I'll give you one. Now, I don't have time to tell you how stupid that is, but I just, I got to move on. So we stop. Hey, I'm doing my thing. I'm doing the one Sunday. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And we say to God, why? I, I want you to continue to work in my life. I want you to continue to teach me and enjoy that depth of that relationship. And nothing happens. Why? Because you have all that you need to be where you are. You have all that you need to be where you are. And you don't trust the next step. You stay where you are. You limit it. You don't believe. You disobey. One of the hardest scriptures for me in all the Bible is the one where Jesus leaves Nazareth and we're told he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because they never gave him permission to work. Jesus is not going to kick the door down. You have to give him permission to work. You have to say, yes, I'll let you work further. I'll let you go deeper. And as he does that, then you will continue to grow. But hear me, a fire left untended goes out. A muscle unused atrophies. Faith unused atrophies. And this disobedience has deep ramifications for our own lives. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, there, there, there's, there's their afterlife, there's being with Christ, and, I, and, and those are great promises. But there's now. There's so much that God wants to give you now. I've told you before that a long time ago, Jesus called me to a deeper prayer life. And when I finally got into it, Jesus began to work into my life. And one of the first places he changed was my marriage. And that, that befuddled me because I thought I had a great marriage. I did. If you'd asked me, I said, hey, Jeannie loves me. I love her. We have a 10. You know what I found out? God's got bigger numbers than 10. I didn't know that. 
Jesus was feeling sorry for me. Poor Mike, he's only got a 10. I want to give him 328, but I don't know if he can stand it. There's so much he wants to give you here, now. There's so much he wants to bring into your life here, now. And you don't. He can do no money works in your life, my life, because of our unbelief. It has ramifications for our church. There are things we know we need to do we can't do because we won't step up. And it has ramifications for our community and our world. Do you really believe that revival is going to come to our nation through Congress? Do you really believe that God is limited in his work by who is in the Oval Office? God is always working to be among his people. He's always working, and he calls us by name to this work, and he gifts us with understanding and wisdom and the skills to do it. So how are you called? All of us are. How are you gifted? All of us are. And why aren't you there if you're called and gifted? Why are you still here? God is up to something. And he's calling you and me to be part of it. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot and embarrass you. I'm not going to do that at all. But some of us do have to do some hard thinking about our life. And you recognize that you are limiting what God can do in your life because of your disobedience, because of your unwillingness. And this is the time to finally give him permission to do whatever he wants to do in your life. That may mean talking to one of our friends. They're waiting for you outside in the atrium. The big table says next steps. They'll be waiting for you. Continue this conversation. For others of you, it's time to get into place. The P-L-A-C-E is the class that'll help you understand how you're wired and the purpose for which you're calling. We can help you find a place where you'll make a difference. You can find that information there too. Others, it's as simple as becoming part of Brentwood Baptist Church. But for some of you, it's the first time you've heard about this relationship with Jesus Christ. First time it's made any kind of sense to you. And you don't know who you are, but Jesus does. And right now he's calling you by name. You don't know why you are, the purpose for which you created, but he does. And he's laying that out for you right now. And I know I'm saying a whole lot, just a handful of words. That's why our friends are waiting. At this table says next step, just go and say, hey, I want to pick up what Mike was talking about. They'll get you from there. But don't leave this place, I beg you, not knowing who you are and not knowing why you are, I beg you. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.